Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Okay, well, it's time to dig into God's Word, and I invite you to grab your Bible or whatever other device you may have that has the Bible on it. We're going to spend some time in God's Word this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about living for heaven's sake, living for heaven's sake. Have you ever noticed in your life experience that sometimes an event happens that changes everything? Everything up to your, that point in your life was one way, and after that point in your life, everything changed. Everything is different. Stephen Covey tells a story of being on a subway in New York, and the subway pulled into a stop, and a man and his children got into the subway car, and the man went and sat down, and his children just ran wild. They ran up and down the subway car. Those that were reading papers, they smashed the the paper. Um, they, They were completely out of control and obnoxious. And Covey says he watched this for a while, and eventually he realized something needed to be done, and so he said, sir, Um, can you see that your children are are out of hand here on the subway car? And the man looked like he came out of a trance, and he looked at his kids, and he said, oh, oh, I'm I'm so sorry, You're, you're right, he said. We've actually had a really, or he says, they've had a really rough morning, and frankly, I have too. He said, we've just come from the hospital where their mother passed away. And, and Covey says that in that moment, everything changed. In that moment, they went from their irritation at this irresponsible man and his wild children to now coming around him and helping this man with some comfort and trying to reach out and provide some comfort and help to these children. For the past few weeks, we've been discovering an insight, a truth that I think can change everything much the same as the story that Stephen Covey shared. And it's the truth that when we get insight into what heaven is all about, it can literally change the kind of lives we live here and now in this moment. Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life reminds us of this insight. He says that this life is just a preparation for eternity. This life that we live now is a preparation for eternity. If heaven is a reality and our time on earth is just a preparation for eternity, then what difference does it make the kind of life that we live here today? What difference does that make? I want to suggest this morning that if we live for heaven's sake, it affects our attitudes and it affects our actions and it affects our associations. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Living for heaven, first of all, affects our attitude. God has given us the ability to choose how we think. We've all had unwelcome thoughts. We've all had thoughts that pass through our heads, but in essence, we have been given the ability to control what we dwell on. A few weeks ago, we talked about how we may not be able to keep the birds from flying overhead, but we can keep them from making nests in our hair. We can control what we choose to dwell on. 
We can handle the challenges that come our way differently because we know that this life and these experiences are not all there is. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians uh, in the message version of the scripture. If you'd like to follow along in whatever translation you have, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfinished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. That's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here won't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. Taking an eternal view of life doesn't mean we don't have troubles along the way, but it means we can come to terms with God's purposes being worked out in our lives, even in the midst of those troubles. My own personal theology is that God does not bring all of these troubles into our lives, but certainly he is with us in the experience of facing suffering and in the midst of suffering, we know that God is there and his work is being done in our lives. Sometimes we're at our, when we're at our worst, we have an opportunity to see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God breaking in and our attitude is changed. Mark Buchanan was a pastor up on Vancouver Island and he tells a story of Gary and Elaine. He was having lunch with Gary and Elaine, and it was a very, very difficult season in their lives. They had been counselors in this community and, in fact, had been a part of the congregation before he came as pastor. And they poured out to their heart to him about the challenges that they were facing. And the challenge that they, was face they were facing was that the province of British Columbia had changed the way that, <clears throat> excuse me, that counselors were reimbursed. And by doing so, it, it jeopardized their entire financial ability, and they had come to the place where now they were probably going to have to sell their home. And Mark said he, he really wasn't quite sure what to say as their pastor during this luncheon to try to be of help to them. Well, Mark felt like he had nothing to give, and time was running out on the lunch, he, he did ask a question. He said, Gary, you've done a lot of things 
in your life, haven't you? It's not like you have to do counseling. And Gary proceeded to say yes. He said, I have a a commercial pilot's license. Um, I was a designer and a contractor. Um, He went on to say that he had done a number of other things. He was a mechanic. But he said, I also was a church planter. And he said, that's what I did when he and Elaine and I were first married. Gary said, did you know that Elaine and I started the first congregation in Whistler, British Columbia? And Mark was not aware of that. He asked what had happened. And he says, I found out that when they did this, it was in the late 1970s. And Mark asked Gary and Elaine if it was the little A-frame church that was below the gondola. And they said, yes, that's precisely it. And uh, Gary, uh, Mark responded to Gary by telling him an interesting story that, in fact, in his pre-Christian days, he was there. He had gone by that building, but more than that, he was invited to a cabin there in Whistler that belonged to somebody associated with the church. And Mark described the cabin, and Gary and Elaine's eyes opened wide as they said, that was our place. And then it all came back to Mark. He remembered Elaine taking pizza out of the oven for him and his friend, and uh, they were there for the weekend, and he remembered that they hosted a Bible study on Friday night. And Elaine invited Mark, who was now her pastor, but in those days was not a follower of Jesus, invited him and his friend um, to come and be a part of the Bible study, and, and Mark politely refused. But during the course of the evening, Mark went to the restroom, uh, to the toilet, um, and, uh, and as he was walking back by the room in which the Bible study was taking place, he paused to listen. And as he listened, he heard what the group was saying And Mark didn't think much of Christians up to that point. And what he heard didn't really change his mind a whole lot, except that there was something peculiar that caught his attention. This is how he describes it. He says, a man's voice, slow, soft, measured. He was speaking encouragement to the group, telling of God's strange choreography. His hidden providence, the way he sculpted purpose out of anything, everything, nothing, failure, detour, disappointment, duty, waiting. He told them how God had done this with him recently. He believed that God had called him to be a missions pilot. So he went through all the time and expense of getting his commercial pilot's license. Afterward, though, he couldn't get work anywhere. Just one closed door after the next, but that led through a series of interconnected events to the work he did now. I believe, the man said, that I never would have ended up a pastor and church planter if God hadn't first opened the door for me to be a pilot and then shut it hard. Gary, I said at the lunch table, that was you, wasn't it? And Gary's eyes were silvery with tears. Yes, he said. Gary, I have to tell you what I did next. I went back to the room where my friend and my brother were, and I told them what I heard. I told them that Christians must be plumb crazy because they think God is personally involved in their lives. They think that God's hand is actually directing them. We laughed at the absurdity of it. But Gary, I couldn't let it go, and I never heard that before. I never even conceived of it. God 
cares about me. Five years after that, I came to faith in that Christ. Today, I'm your pastor. Gary, Elaine, in part because of a conversation I overheard 25 years ago about a God who wastes nothing and who loves intimately. Gary and Elaine, Mark says, left the restaurant different than they came in. You see, when we live for heaven's sake, it affects our attitude. And we recognize that our lives have meaning and our lives have purpose. And it helps us through the tough time to know that God's work is being accomplished even in the most difficult times of our lives. Second thing I want to leave with you this morning is that living for heaven's sake affects our actions. It affects our attitudes, it changes our attitudes, but it also affects our actions. We do what we think, as well as what we think. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, Paul writes about what we do. He writes about our actions. And and I'm going to read this somewhat slowly, and and, and I I want you to think about the actions. So, this is a list of commands. It's, it's imperatives. It's a list of things that we should do. And I want you to hear it that way, that our relationship with God is not just in our attitudes, as important as that is, but it's in how we live out those attitudes in our actions. So think about these things that God is calling us to do in our actions. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. So the first thing we're supposed to do is set our heart on things above. For heaven's sake, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For heaven's sake. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What an amazing list of actions, of things that should describe our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. We choose what we do, 
And living for heaven's sakes means we choose to live differently. We live for the long haul. We live in light of eternity. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, he said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Living for heaven's sake makes us much more effective people in the here and now as well as the then and there. Finally, living for heaven's sake affects our associations. When we live for heaven's sake, we choose to take note of those who are on the journey with us. God knows that good relationships build us up for the kingdom and bad relationships tear us down. Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, excuse me, again from the message version, stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running this same course, headed for this same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but easily street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole the same powerful skill by which he's putting everything as it should be under and around him. Friends, we need fellowship with others. We emphasize small groups and huddles and other associations of people because we need to take this journey together with the right associations of people. John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, From the very first day we were there, taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, we saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands, the word of life appeared right before our eyes, we saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this, the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, our motive for writing is simply this, we want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. Living life for heaven's sake means we enter into fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are invited into the trinity of relationship, and we are invited to walk with others in that journey together. We began this morning by talking about our preparation for eternity and how God shapes us in this life for the life that he has for us. Somehow he takes the challenges of our lives, the the tough stuff we go through, and uses it for his good. He uses it for his kingdom value. Sometimes that preparation is not fun. Sometimes we have no idea. We don't understand what he is doing. But he makes us apprentices to Jesus Christ. And as he makes us apprentices to Jesus Christ... He shapes and molds us into people who are effective for the kingdom. In 1984, when most of us in this room were quite young, 
a, a movie called The Karate Kid came out. Some of you may remember The Karate Kid. And it told the story of a single mom and uh, her son who moved from New York to California. And in making the move, it was very, very difficult on the young man because he had to change schools, and at the new school in California, um, there were bullies in the school that made his life hell. And, and so he, he wanted to learn how to defend himself, and the maintenance man, the handyman at the apartment complex that he lived in, Mr. Miyagi, um, he heard and uh, knew something about karate, and so he asked Mr. Miyagi if he would help him to learn karate to be able to defend himself from the bullies at school. Mr. Miyagi asked him to come over to his home, and he brought Daniel over, and in bringing Daniel over, he had some things for Daniel to do. And so he began with some of the old cars that were in Mr. Miyagi's driveway, and he taught Daniel how to put wax on with the left hand and how to take wax off with the right hand. And Daniel spent hours putting wax on and taking wax off. And then poor Daniel thought he was going for karate lessons and he seemed to be Mr. Miyagi's helper for things that needed maintenance there. And so the next thing Mr. Miyagi had him do was paint the fence. And Mr. Miyagi showed him the big motion of his left hand painting the narrow boards and his right hand painting the broad boards as he went along the fence, painting the fence. And when he thought he had done a good job of that, Mr. Miyagi showed him the other side of the fence, which needed to be painted as well. And then one morning, he arrives at Mr. Miyagi's house. And Mr. Miyagi teaches him how to paint the house, and he says, now you paint the house. And so Mr. Miyagi leaves, having shown him the broad strokes of how to to paint the vertical siding or the horizontal siding on the house. And that night as daylight is turning into darkness of dusk, Mr. Miyagi comes home with a fishing pole. And that was enough for young Daniel. He had had it. He thought he was coming for karate lessons and he was waxing cars, wax on, wax off. He was painting the fence. He was painting the house and he had had it. And he told Mr. Miyagi off, and as he turned to leave, Mr. Miyagi said, come back, come back. And Mr. Miyagi stood across from him and said, now show me wax on, wax off. And Daniel began to do this, began to do this. And he said, now show me, paint the fence. And Daniel does this movement. And then he says, now, show me, paint the house. And then Mr. Miyagi begins his karate instruction and showing him the vital things that he had learned through the suffering and the pain and the experience of wax on and wax off and how brilliant these moves were in preparing him for karate and being able to defend himself from the bullies. The pain was producing the progress. God uses the challenges of our lives to shape us into the people that can live effectively in this life 
for heaven's sake. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the insight of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would guide our steps from your scripture. Lord, help us to understand that as we talk about heaven and as we learn more about heaven and its wonders, it isn't something that we just await in our lives. But in fact, the knowledge that we have of heaven changes everything. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would help us to see how the wonderful impact of heaven will change everything about this life. Help us, Lord, to understand that you work through the circumstances of our lives to make us into the people that you want to be as a preparation for what you have for us now and in eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.